0: Hey everybody, this is uh, Dave Broadbeck, or as I'm also known, Dr. Dave Broadbeck. I'm also known as Batman. Okay, that one of those was a lie. Uh, The lecture you're about to hear is from a course called uh, Psychology 3106
1: Animal Behavior.
2: Over there, better. As long as I'm still. No, but I don't want to walk around too much because uh, it, it helps. It helps bring me some. I'm good here. I'm okay here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, development and behavior. Now we've looked at evolution to a point, uh, not too heavily yet. We have looked at genetics. Well, we've looked at natural selection. I should say, and genetics. And in fact, when we put evolution and genetics together, we get what's called the modern synthetic theory of evolution. It's called synthetic because it's a synthesis. It's not because it's not natural fibers.
1: <laughs>
2: right? Huh? Pretty funny, right? Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's synthetic because you put the science of genetics together with evolutionary theory. The cool thing that happened when, both when genetics was discovered um, by... Gregor Mendel, and then when Watson and Crick, actually Rosalind Rayner, discovered the structure of DNA, all that stuff works together with evolution. The cool thing, one of the amazing things about evolution is every time something new comes up in biology, it makes sense in the light of evolution and is just brought into the theory. There's not a lot of scientific theories that are that good. So, evolution, as we know, acts on the phenotype. Genetics is really the unfolding of the phenotype in an environment. Like, sorry, genetics causes the unfolding of a phenotype in an environment. That environment is partly a hormonal environment. That environment is partially the temperature outside. That environment is partially the other individuals around you of your own species and other species. So it's all of those things rolled into one. Development, basically, is the linking of the genotype and phenotype. Another word for development you see sometimes is ontogeny. Um, I don't know why it's a better word than development, but a lot of people like it, <laughs> especially in animal behavior. I don't understand why, but fine, if that's, if that's what they want to say. So sometimes you'll see words, like if you're reading a paper, you'll see the ontogeny of, and you always think to myself, why does it say the development of? Whatever. So the unfolding of the phenotype in a particular order in a particular environment. And remember, of course you might start thinking not that nature nurture controversy. Again, Dave, you said that was stupid. Yes, I did, and I still maintain it's stupid. You can't have one without the other as Donald have told us, right? So the key thing always to remember is the interaction principle here. It's always important to remember the interaction principle that we have genes unfolding, sorry, an organism unfolding in an environment that has genes and the environment interacting. So I can talk about the average, I can talk about how much genetic influence there is on average in a species or a subpopulation, that I can do, or talk about how much environmental informa- or, sorry, not information, or uh, information, how much variance is caused by the environment in a, in a, in a species or a subpopulation on average. I cannot say anything of an individual, right? So when I say that human height is 0. 0.8 heritable, it means 0. 0.8 genetic. That means that 0. 0.8 of the variance in human height overlaps with variance in genetics. Now a couple of people in here have taken psych thirty two fifty six. I'm just want to say this statistical concept. There's a few of you guys mostly sit right there that took psych thirty two fifty six. So we have, we think of variance as a thing, and there I can see their eyes glazing over, remembering <laughs> last March. So if we have variance in a in a trait. That is the variance in some trait. I don't know what the trait is. I don't care, okay? And that's variances in genetics, in the genes, in the genotype. This is the heritability, okay? So if you think of it like a Venn diagram and it overlaps, for those of you listening at home, Right, so we got a Venn diagram, they overlap, one's, one circles the variance in the trait, the other one's the variance in the genetics, in the, in the genes, in the genotype. The overlap is, is the heritability. But, so it's a statistical concept. Something can have 100% heritability, literally 1.0, and be completely affected by the environment. It's simple to think of things like that, too. You'd be surprised. Change your eye color. Put contacts in. Just change your eye color.
1: Yep? Um, <coughs> can the trait the the is the phenotype, yes. Okay, so is it like phenotype versus, not versus, but in, in genotype?
2: Um, it's the overlap in the phenotype, in the variance in phenotype, and the overlap in the variance in genotype. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was. Yes. To. Yes. But again, as you know, thinking of variance as a thing you can touch and kick is not simple, right? Because it's about variance. It's not about the phenotype per se. That's, I'm just trying to say that it, when I say, say human height is 0.8 heritable, I don't. I can't look over and say. Everything up to here is genes and everything from here up is environment. That's not how it works. Or I couldn't say from here to here and then here to here is genes and that part there is environment. It just doesn't work that way. And just because something is heritable, it has to be heritable for, genetic, for evolution to act on it. But for something to be heritable, so it has to overlap. For something to be hairy doesn't mean it's uh, necessarily unchangeable. Like I just said, you can change your eye color. Contacts. You can change your hair color. Does she or doesn't she? It's a very old ad. I remembered that because we did an episode of my retro TV podcast recently on old advertising slogans. I have the strangest hobby. Um, and PKU is the best example, which is something that used to cause uh, mental retardation, and now it doesn't. You know why? Because they test you for it when you're 24 hours old. And if you have PKU, they just, the they, they doctor gives you a list to the mom, and says don't feed the kid this stuff ever. Done. It's like no almonds. I know that's one of them. There's a lot of other things too. It's not the greatest diet, but it's better than hey, having an IQ of 70 in a few years. Okay, so that's just. keep, Always keep this in mind when we talk about heritability. Okay? And those of you who take um, human evolutionary psychology next term, keep that in mind again. So remember, you can't have genes in that environment, just get over it. You just can't. I, I, was, I like the idea that. Evolution is the ultimate environmental theory because it actually shapes an entire organism over evolutionary time. That's cool. A couple of important ideas in development. There's this idea that's called either canalization or developmental homeostasis. This is that things develop even when conditions are suboptimal. So here's a nice example. Here's a strange example. But Geisen in 1976-78 misdirected a a nerve in drosophila. Why not drosophila? It's what we use. So while it was developing in like the larval stage, just misdirected, like put it to the the wrong wing. Turned around and eventually projected to the right wing. It eventually just turned around and projected like it was left to to be. So, Geissen says, okay, I'm going to turn this so the left muscle controls the right wing and the right muscle controls the left wing. That'll be funny. By the way, Dutch, they're all Dutch. A lot of these people who study animal behavior are Dutch. I don't know why. It's something that'll start to become more and more obvious as time goes on. They're either Dutch or English. Crazy. Misdirects the growth, turns around and grows the right way. Look at look at look at me. No, really, look at me. Um, my eyes are just even before this weirdness. My visual system is is very odd, the way it's developed, right? But I can still see. I don't see well, but I can still see. Look at, then in, 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 in brain behavior, we talked about Romanian talk um, orphans, we talked about crack babies and all these things. The amazing thing is, most people turn out normal, even under bad circumstances. Right? So you can, it's not just fruit flies, you can go all the way to people if you want. Okay, so let's think about things. Behavioral things. These are all, we want to think about behavioral stuff. No, You know the Harry Harlow experiments? Do you know these? Who here doesn't know the Harlow experiments? If you don't, just, we're going to go over it anyway. But, yeah, okay, so a couple of you don't know. That's fine. Okay, Harlow um these are great experiments. They're just really mean. They're just really mean. Here we have a very cute rhesus monkey baby. Aww. And he's going to get, it I, I could be a she, I don't know. He's going to get, I'm going to go with he. I'm so sexist. He's going to get a mom that either feeds him, that's a bomb, or a mom that's just a, but it's wire mesh. We're going to call her wire mesh mom. Or we're going to get carry cloth mom. Terry cloth mom doesn't give it any food, but it's comforting because she's a wire mesh thing covered in a towel. I guess when your choices are these two, that's comforting. Because there's a whole notion, a whole Skinner sort of notion, behaviorist notion, that we love our mom because we get food from her. Just reinforce them. Well, Harlow said, uh, it can't just be that simple. <clears throat> and look at little monkey clinging to terry cloth mom. Does anybody here not feel horribly sorry for the monkey? Because <laughs> if you don't, oh, see, I think you're a heartless person. Is, sorry, I know you. I know. I know you had a question. What do you, what's up? <laughs> this is the blood disorder. What's that? Rhesus. Rhesus. Yes. Rhesus monkey. It's a kind of monkey. I don't know.
1: You've never heard of rhesus positive, rhesus
2: negative? Oh, that's uh, for for blood, right? For
1: blood.
2: Yeah. Okay. Rh negative, Rh positive. Yeah. It's a but I don't. I think that's a clotting factor or something. Yeah. I don't know. That goes back to like grade ten biology, man. I don't know.
1: So this is just a
2: coincidence. I think so. I honestly don't know. It's a kind of monkey. I thought
1: they were also doing the test. Perhaps. It racist
2: animals. I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to think they were called racist monkeys. <laughs> I really did, like, when I was like seven. Maybe they are. Maybe, they could be. We don't look. They discriminate against wire mesh mom. So, but you would too. So, this is a sad, sad experiment. <laughs> it's
1: just sad. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, just, Curtis. It's, so, it's comfort and no food versus food and no comfort?
2: Yes. That's the, you, see a, you see a problem there with the experiment? Okay.
1: What's the problem? Well, either way, they're going to take the, the, the game from either side. They're either going to take that, go towards." But
2: we give them a choice. We give them a choice. They take this.
1: Yeah, but I don't know how to say it, but obviously they're going to take the comfort when there's no food, and obviously they're going to take the food when there's no comfort.
2: No, no. That's not what happens. No? no. They go there for food only. They go there and they eat, then they jump
1: back over here. Oh, but the same monkeys have both options?
2: Yeah. Oh, OK. That's in one experiment. There's an issue here where it should be a two by two, not just a two. But you know, those experiments eventually, I believe, did get done. So there's Harlow, who is, I'm going to guess, probably a nice guy. But it seems like he's evil. Just from this experiment. So if you get now, this is a different experiment. It fed on the wire mother, or <laughs> fed on terry cloth mummy. No matter where you're fed, you like terry cloth mummy better. So everybody is like, oh, it's attachment. Oh, it's comforting. You also were just mean to a bunch of monkeys. I don't know. It's has got better. I don't know. The other problem with this experiment, interpretation wise, of course, is how do we know that how much milk is as rewarding as time rubbing your face on a towel? We don't know the effect size would be the same, do we? Right? Like if I gave, I don't know, I gave one person here and I said, okay, if you get uh, an A on the test, you'll get either a hundred dollars or some natto. Do you know what natto is? It's horrible fermented Japanese soybeans. It smells awful. It smells like garbage. (laughs) So it's like, it's still a prize. Now, if you're really hungry, probably the natto's a good thing. But we don't know how much natto equals $100. For some people, I bet, you know, uh, if we had a Japanese student in here, she missed home, maybe they'd be worth it.
1: So is it kind of just back to motivation? Yeah. Like the monkey's more motivated to do
2: whatever I'm more motivated for? For $100 to the pilot's dreamy fermented Japanese soybeans. They look great by the way, it looks like caramel but you realize it's really just rotting. Um, Now this is, okay, so that's a problem. Why did my voice go so high there? This is a problem. (laughs) This is a problem with these experiments and I've had it for years. Um, But, the thing about the monkey experiment is the monkeys who are raised only with a wire mesh mom, so there's a bunch of different experiments. Harlow milked this thing for all his evilness could milk. I That was a bad metaphor, I'm sorry. Uh, so, if you were only raised with a wire mesh bomb, you know what happens? You get really, uh, you're not good with others. Social behavior is not good. So you end up being, what's the word I'm looking for? Deficient, uh, dysfunctional. They would fight with others. When, uh, females that were raised like this when they had babies would just abandon them. It's awful. Now the cool thing is they could then, however, when they were young enough, be brought a, a monkey that was raised with a, with a terry cloth mom and they would give them therapy, basically. They would teach them how to interact and they'd be fine. In fact, it didn't even matter to the species. Harlow even eventually had a sheepdog. that had a pet monkey. This is the this if this was a cartoon, they'd also solve crimes, right? <laughs> um, and, new one fox, or it's it's a new Seth MacFarlane vehicle, probably right? The monkey talks like Seth MacFarlane, MacFarlane, and then this thing talks like Peter Griffin. It's basically just like everything he does. But I like that Orville show. Have you seen that? Pretty good. Anyway, hey, this monkey ends up normal. The monkeys that are raised by (laughs) sheepdogs. There's a phrase I never thought I'd say. Um, End up also being able to reintegrate into monkey society. It's not really monkey society, but they they play nice with others. They're nice. It's a cool picture. So, that's cool. If, yep.
0: In what context is it
2: a pet to the dog, though? It's not really a pet. I mean, it hangs up with so the dog. They companion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It gets sort of playtime with the dog, <laughs> right. and it, which ends up, which ends up uh, sort of teaching the monkey about bonding, and this is the notion, bonding things like that. So, this, what, why, why am I bringing this up? Uh, I'm bringing this up because we have to look at development when it's suboptimal, and then we can see, look, we can even get normal behavior even after years of, well, growing up being mistreated, basically, and we can't do this with people, <laughs> so. So, normal behavior was possible,
1: right?
2: Okay. Some other issues in development, um, sense, sensitive periods. It's basically your nervous system needs input up until a certain time for it to work. In other words, for a system to develop properly, it needs to get input. And the example, as I said, is human vision and me is actually a pretty decent example. But it's also true with human language acquisition. So, development doesn't necessarily stop if you don't get input at a certain point, but it's, it doesn't end up being normal. okay? And we can think of a lot of sensitive periods, uh, we used to say critical periods, but don't use that so much anymore, uh, in all kinds of things in animals, and I'll talk about, it in about a couple here. So, here's a, co- here's a way of putting it into two different Sort of camps, not camps, uh, two different, eh, that's okay, I guess, two different classifications. This is something that Pat Bateson, who died recently, uh, came up with. He was old, I mean, so he had a good run. But still. So he came up with this notion of Experience-expected versus experience-dependent uh, behavior. This is like information that's needed during a sensitive period. So it's, and when I say information, it's just out input from the environment. okay? And it's needed by all members of a species for normal development. There's a lot of things like this, um, you know about the experiments with uh, oh, who did that stuff again? With cats and being raised in only vertical stripes or horizontal stripes. Do you know about this work? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you're if the cats are raised only in horizontal stripes, they can't see vertical lines. So if you paint vertical lines lines on a wall, cats run into them. It's kind of funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's a little funny. Um, oh, we can think about human language, if you want to apply to humans. You need to hear or see, if you're doing signing, language being spoken or signed I guess, to learn language. doesn't matter what language it is, here's experience dependent. If you will hear English, you speak English. If you see American Sign Language, you learn American Sign Language. If you see, if you see only vertical stripes, the horizontal stripe well, feature detectors, that's horizontal, David, uh, don't develop if you're a cat. So, again, as I said, this is Pat Bateson. This was his idea, Patrick Bateson. His daughter, Melissa, is a well-known researcher in animal behavior as well. All right. So, here's an example we think about a lot. We talk about imprinting. Conrad Lorenz, right? Lorenz said... This is not learning because Lorenz didn't know what learning was because Conrad Lorenz was an and was an ethologist. He was not a psychologist. Of course, it's learning. Experience at time one affects behavior time two. Of course, it's learning. You know what imprinting is, right? It's when you are a bird and you see your mom and then you learn it's your mom and that's your mom. What's that? Well, that's what Lorenz says. Lorenz said it wasn't learning because it, it's not classical or operant conditioning. But that doesn't make it not learning. It's still learning. It's a special kind of learning. Yeah. And in fact, we know we can actually control this. People have study, been studying this for years. You can, what you do is the first thing the animal sees when it hatches, it moves, it imprints on it. And this is why there's those pictures, and you can, if you I bet right now someone here Googled Conrad Lorenz. You'll find a picture in Google Images of him walking, and a bunch of geese following him. Yeah. Yeah. See. Now he he discovered this, and now he justifiably got Nobel Prize. I'm not saying anything bad. Um, he determined, in fact, that they weren't even imprinted on him. The geese were imprinted on his rubber boots. The first thing they saw when they hatched was his rubber boots. And this has been done now to test this. Uh, Mike Domian, who's done some pretty neat work with uh, Japanese quail, he puts a little little toy car with a a, a red light on top that's spinning so the the little, see, chickens notice it. He drives around this little chicken coop. And then later on, he can get chickens to follow a little red car. Conrad Lorenz also was a member of the Nazi party. So we'll just throw that out there. Um, it's scary. almost perfect that that happened right there. I don't know why. When we look at imprinting, Nikki Clayton, there's Nikki right there. She's, Nikki is this big. You could, she could sit in the palm of your hand. She's, um, she's the only woman you would not expect a woman who is literally four foot 11 to be able to just drink me under the table. <laughs> she has. Phones everywhere. Um, okay, so. Uh, NMBA is a uh, neuromodulator. And there's an increase in NMBA receptors in a part of a bird's brain. Um, called the IMHV. I, I can never remember what that's. I, in, oh, shit. Intermarfleur, <laughs> Hyperstriatum vroom. I can't remember what the piece meant for either. But uh, the IMHV, after imprinting. So in fact, there's a, a, a change in a brain region that happens right after imprint. There was a story, um, you know, there's a, uh, you know, uh, where is it? Like, north, somewhere north of the city, there's like a, a farm and kids go visit. You know that place? I don't know what it's called. But anyway, they apparently had a thing, this is like years ago, this is from 2005, maybe. Yeah. And um, a goose imprinted, well, they didn't know it imprinted, but imprinted on a donkey. Great, that's interesting. So, of course, the local news picks it up because the local news never took this class.
1: <laughs>
2: and so, CTV, a guy from CTV comes, he calls me on the phone and he said, do you? I'm gonna come and ask you a question. And I'd answered a question for him before. Kind of thoughtfully, they had me on the news. It was about, do animals, can animals sense earthquakes? Like, I don't know where the hell they're getting me. But anyway, so. He calls up and he says, I, I'm just going to come in with a camera and I, I think I can kind of stump you, but I want to see what... But he said, I'm not going to tell you in advance. I want to see your reaction. I think it would be a fun thing to put on the news. I said, okay, yeah, sure. So he comes in and he, he's got his camera and he explains the story of this goose that thinks this donkey is its mother. And I said, yeah, imprint, sure. Conrad Lorenz won a Nobel Prize. And I go on and on about this. I even talked to Nikki Clayton's research.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, of course, he only wants 15 seconds, right? I think they'll just cut it up. At the end he said, do you think the goose is happy? I said, if the goose is happy and the donkey's happy and the farmer's happy, I guess I'm happy. And he laughed and that was the end of it. So the story gets on the news the next day and it's me, that's all it says. (laughs) (laughs) And then, because it's a cute story and the CTV news channel, the one that's all over the country, um, sometimes likes cute stories so every 15 minutes for two days is me. I start getting emails and, like, phone calls from colleagues all over the country. Way to go, Brian Beck. It's like, no, that's not what I said. I even talked about that cool stuff Nikki did. Yeah, sure you did. If the goose is happy, uh, bite me. I'm going to find
1: that
2: I don't know that you can. If you can, that'd be great to see. It was a different time Song learning is kind of like this, too, bird song learning, right? And we have two world-level experts in bird song at this university, Dr. Foote in biology and Dr. Bloomfield in psychology, though Laurie does call, but it's pretty similar. Okay. Generally in songbirds, males sing and females don't generally, not always. So Peter Marler... Um, thought that this, there was like a template inside the bird's head of what its song should sound like. And then that can get tweaked by the environment. And the big environmental cue here is it needs to hear itself sing to, to correct itself. So there's a template, and then it produces song, and then allows for correction. And it needs to hear. This is in uh, sparrows. Needs to hear itself sing um, between 150 and 200 days post hatch. Does it say 200? Yeah, that's right. I was going to say I thought it was, thought it was 300. And that's wrong. Um, or it'll never sing properly. Okay. And he thought that they could only acquire their own song. And you can see here that what happens if they don't have, if they don't learn to sing, or don't hear themselves sing, and what happens if they do hear themselves sing. In other words, it's like they're learning, and it's it's correcting, but... It ends up that every individual of a species gets the same version of a song, with only slight variation. Okay. The template idea is what, what Marlowe originally thought. Now these are hard to read,
0: because
2: <laughs> they're called sonograms, and you actually have to actually, someone like Warrior or Jen Foote can read these things and know, knows what it sounds like. I can't. So it's frequency on this axis, and time on this axis. So, normal conditions, this is the song. Uh, This one here, what's that? Oh, socially isolated but exposed to their own singing. And this one is both. As you can see, it's not just your own singing. You need to actually have others around you. See. So it's not really the, the template idea is uh, was was very simplistic. So I wouldn't call it a template. Um. I think the idea of experience expected and experience dependent. Learning is useful here, or information. The experience expected is hearing others around you sing and hearing yourself sing. And the experience dependent is the subtle differences between different regions. So you end up with, for example, white crown sparrows in one part of California sound different than they do in another part of California. So it's like, Kind of like how human language, hearing language is experienced, it. You need that, or you're never, or seeing language, again, sign so, so language, but you're never going to learn to speak. If you learn to speak English, by the time you like, say, five or six, you're never going to speak, I don't know, let's pick another language, Swahili, like a native speaker. Not going to have it. The accents will be there, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can learn the, the vocabulary. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, yeah, that's right. Just can detect the accent. So yeah. which one's this? Oh yes. We get a social tutor that comes in after isolation and eventually actually can teach an individual that was um, that, that didn't learn song properly can't actually teach it the proper song after this supposed critical period. But it has to be a social tutor. It can't just be the sound of the, of, of the other bird. It can't just be a speaker playing it. It's got to be an actual other bird there interacting with the individual that never learned to, to, to sing. At any, like at any stage in the moment? Well, like at least after those 200 days. I mean, I don't think after a a, a, couple, a year or something, No.
1: No. But you can go. You can, to be during that no,
2: period. you can go after what, what Marlar thought was a sensitive period. You can go after, say, 200 days.
1: Yeah. But like we're humans, if we don't learn or experience language after a certain period, we can't. Be we're able.
2: never going to really
1: acquire language. Though, but the no. birds might be able to.
2: Yeah, it's a lot more. Let's put it this way: it's a lot more. It's not. It's not nearly as cut and dried as Marlar thought. Okay. But nothing ever is. it's a
1: good starting point.
2: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, again, Peter Marler, um, while he's wrong about this, or was wrong, he's dead now, but it's not a template. He's the guy who discovered this, so <laughs> let's give him some credit. Yeah. He then started getting interested in animal consciousness, which is a strange thing. Because I don't know how you study that. And he was speaking at U of T. He came and visited us. We were all at the dinner, and my friend Rob looked at him and said, and Rob didn't know this, that he'd been studying animal consciousness. Rob's a first year graduate student. Well, I think anybody studying animal consciousness is kind of ridiculous. We all sort of stopped. Because he got to dinner with all these graduate students. <laughs> and he goes, that seems kind of flippant. And he said, he's doing that now. Oh, sorry, and I, I've never seen anybody's head and body and everything turn the brighter shade of red rather than a shaved head at the time. Okay. So, what are hormones? Well, what about it? Hormones are great. Um, here's a representation of how it sort of, kind of, might work. It's exceedingly simplistic if you're into sort of... Um, Secondary chronology. You never thought I'd be able to say that outside of brain behavior, did you? Let's look at the um, look at this diagram below. So we've got estrogen exposure or estradiol, which is a precursor, precursor to estrogen. This is in rats. Is it rats or mice? I think it's rats. Um, okay, that's a female. Here we have a male, normal male and a castrated male. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And now after they've developed, they've become adults, let's look at their aggressive uh, activity or their aggressive behaviors <coughs> towards a threat and look at how the hormone affects the behavior. Not having the hormone early changes the behavior. Pretty cool, right? Males tend to be more aggressive than females, and also it's, it's hormonally uh, mitigated, as what that says there. Questions so far? So, we can make a few conclusions about development. We can talk about gene, its gene environment interactions, obviously. What else could it be? And that development is the unfolding of the phenotype directed by the genotype in a certain environment. So, we're talking about the interaction principle all the way. Now, <coughs> now we can, I think, start the next bit, because get us back on track. And it's not hard to do. And maybe you haven't downloaded these yet. So it'll all be exciting and new. But they're right there. So feel free to go to DaveBroadbeck.com. Use offer code Dave. Okay. I want to talk a bit about the organization of behavior as well. So animals can do lots of things. They can forage. They can defend. They can look for mates, like defend a territory, or look for mates. They can do all these things. I guess the real problem is what to do when. Usually, in fact, animals only choose to do a single behavior. Right? When I say choose, they're making a conscious choice. You know that. This is all sort of shorthand. But an animal who is both foraging and looking for mates will get lousy mates and subpar food because they aren't... Doing anything uh, as well as they could. Doing either of them as well as they could because one's interfering with the other. That's the notion. And it would be even maladaptive to do things at the wrong time. Like you don't go looking for mates in the fall. This is why you don't hear bird song, for example, in the fall, do you? Notice that? You don't hear bird song anymore. You have calls, but you don't hear song. So you're wasting your time. You could be out looking for food, but no, you're walking around going, ladies, oh, ladies, because you're a stupid male bird, and you are a loser. And the other birds let me you know. Some of these are so just for me. Um, so there's got to be some kind of central control mechanism deciding what to do and when. And we think, of course, this is obviously something in the nervous system, right? The simplest example of these self, or sorry, self-regulatory or, or control mechanisms are homeostatic systems. Okay, so here's a simple one. This is thermoregulation. There's a set point. This is the animal's uh, body temperature. and then somehow we can change things, effectors it says there, to control the variable temperature. This then feeds back and is detected, is it at the right set point? I mean, positive feedback or negative feedback. So when you think about heat loss, so if you're too warm and you wanna lose cool, Right? You want to you lose heat, I'm sorry. Um, dilation of blood vessels does that. Sweating, panting, that kind of behavior, right? I know that doesn't seem very behavioral, though some of it is. And then if you want to gain heat... So you vasal vasoconstriction, you get shivering... Right? When you shiver, you're moving, which makes, which warms you up, right? And then humans, of course, have, or your, 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 your fur could stand up on end, and you might see birds. If you go out in the winter, and you see birds uh, at night, so I don't know how many of you go out looking for birds in nests at night, probably very few of you. <laughs> but you might see, for example, a chickadee all puffed up, looking like a little ball. <laughs> it's a way for them to stay warm. And, of course, humans even do this, though we don't have enough fur anymore, but we get goosebumps, right? And goosebumps really are just from us. It's an evolutionary vestige of erection, of of our our, uh, hair standing right. So we can think of these kind of things, these kind of mechanisms for other behaviors. That's more complicated. So there's there's an approach in animal behavior or ethology called the behavior systems approach, and it says that we have separate systems. We being animals, by the way, just humans, all of us all the animals separate systems for dealing with separate types of behavior with separate behavior with behaviors that have different functions so we have a feeding system and a mating system etc and that, that, that system itself is put into action by what are called releasing stimuli from the environment. and also by internal mechanisms. So you think about something like mating, right? Humans are weird in that we mate your round, right? And we can mate any time, right? Uh, human females don't have a, an estrous cycle, things like that. So it's like human females don't go into heat, is what that means. Um, so it's a little different with humans. But with pretty much every other animal, there is a time when there is mating and a time when there is no mating, and most of the time there is no mating. Right.
1: Are know the
2: species like that? I can't.
1: That you know of?
2: That I know of offhand, yeah. But I mean, birds don't go. The only, I think we may be the only mammal that doesn't uh, have an estrus so it Doesn't go into heat. Um, the birds
0: have a
1: specific. They have
2: a mating I season, though. They have a time when that. they mate and they don't mate any other time. Yes, that's right. Insects still have a mating season. Fish,
1: do they have
2: yeah, animals? Yeah, I mean it's it's it, we're the uncommon ones. I, I, I yeah. We are weird. We are really weird animals. At one point, could we have a we uh, have our ancestors a, did because chimps do.
1: Yeah?
2: Yeah. Bonobos don't. What do you mean? Bonobos don't have a meeting season. Bonobos? bonobo What's that? Uh right next? Of course, the singer in you, too. <laughs> yeah. um, a bonobo, uh, it's a, we used to call them pygmy chimpanzees. Okay. They're very closely related to us and also to chimpanzees. They are so, also are the most sexual of any mammal at all. And they don't have a mating season? No, they're just always mating. This is what they do for fun. They do it when they greet each other. said they were the great us. No, because they came... Like way after, they're close, more closely related to chimps than are us. Than we are. Yeah. Oh yeah. So see, see, the thing is with these guys, with bonobos, they are always mating. Always be mating. They have gestation or oh no, they, 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 they have. Uh, they're fertile at different times. It's just like human females are fertile, fertile at different times of the month. Right? but I'm saying that they don't have, they don't only do mating behavior, sexual behavior. During when, when during mating season, they literally do it all the time, all the time. That's how they greet each other. Like, <laughs> close the door. No, someone can take this all the wrong way. Um. Okay. when 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 a, when, a, when, a, when a male meets another male, they might folate each other. <clears throat> they might give each other a job. Uh, females and males, oral everything. The young, they all do it. It's, it's just a big sex party with bonobos. It's, it's just the way they are. So there's another one. So it's us and them. But they've taken it to an extreme that <laughs> it's just disturbing. It's like a handshake to them. I don't know. I mean, it's probably fun, I guess. I don't know. It's something they do. It, the function of it is clearly, at that point, not just mating. There's something social in it as well.
1: So, wait, is there, like, it's probably hard to tell if there's any, like, of these gay monkeys.
2: Oh, well. there's, yeah, they're, 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 they're just how all how everything sexual. It's like a like big, gay it's, gay. Like, it's, like, it's like the Playboy Mansion in the 60s. It's... <laughs> It's, yeah, there's, there's homosexual behavior, there's group sex, there's, uh, oh, it's, it's, but bonobos it's, are it's unre- not necessarily done for a sexual purpose. Oh, wait, no, it isn't, it isn't. It has it's, other It other seems other to have functions. other, uh, other, it has other functions, yeah.
1: So, yeah. are there instances of, like, monkey STIs or STDs? Oh, sure, yeah.
2: Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, you know that AIDS comes from monkeys, right? Like HIV? Now I do. Yeah. Not HIV itself. It, it, it jumped up. Yep. So yeah, I mean, sure. But yeah, bonobos are the only other thing I can think of that they're way more sexual than humans have ever been. Like it's its odd. I analyzed some data once for somebody. When I was a postdoc a woman who was doing her master's in anthropology, she didn't know I actually how to analyze these data, so. She asked me to look at it, and I said, "Sure, for two hundred bucks, I'll look at it." (laughs) And uh, I needed money. (laughs) No, no, today I do it for free, but I was making twenty-four thousand dollars a year, so I needed money. So I said, "Yeah, I'll do it for two hundred bucks." They said, "I said two hundred bucks, or fifty bucks an hour, whichever is bigger." And it took me two hours, so I charged her two hundred bucks. She had all this behavioral checklist, and there were things on there that I didn't want to tell my mom or my wife.
0: Looking at it, going, "Really?"
2: They do that? Okay. So, so bonobos. The other answer. But see, again, this wouldn't be part of the mating behavior system at this point. There's, there's social communication going on there, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. They're fascinating animals. Yeah. They also have face-to-face sex. They're the only other mammal that does that. Us and them. Yeah. Which is interesting. So this is a really classic approach to ethology, this behavior systems idea. This is the way that people have done ethology for. This just goes back to Lorenz <laughs> and Tinbergen and these sort of classic people. The notion is that when one system is active, the other systems aren't active, okay? So if, you're, if your feeding system is active, your mating system is not
1: active. Is that theory right? That-
2: it's a simplistic way of looking at the world, but no. it's probably not incorrect.
1: But if I'm eating, my thermostat system could be working too Oh yeah, sure, sure. sure, eating, right? Sure.
2: And that's- You wouldn't think of thermoregulation really being like these things like mating and
1: feeding and defending. Sort of like a different section?
2: I mean, typically, an animal will make a decision to activate a certain system, again, you know what I mean by decision, Um, based on these releasing stimuli, and the ones that are the strongest will make the the one system active, which will suppress other systems. And that typically is probably true. I mean, it's probably a little simplistic, but it does make some sense. Because if you're out, for, out looking for food and also worried about predators, you're not going to get good food. And also, you might get eaten because you're also looking for predators. It's best to do one thing and do it well. Right? Except for that one episode of Seinfeld where George tries to watch TV have sex and eat a pastime sandwich. Right? No? Nobody watches Seinfeld anymore. I've got to update my cultural references. I could use stuff from Archer, but it's all filthy, so I'm just going to leave that where right there. You should watch Archer. Everyone should be watching Archer all the time. All right, uh, we'll finish up. We'll talk more about this stuff next time.
1: And then, uh, that's it for today.
0: Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.ac.ca slash broadback. Uh if those links don't work just contact me and i'll find uh, I'll find out um, often I put links uh actually in the uh, if we call them show notes or blog posts so uh you know buy these people's
1: music they're they're making the stuff available out there
0: uh thanks everybody and we'll see you next time.